Well, again, good morning. If you have your Bible, please go to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to be. As you're turning there, a couple of things. Number one, I want to say thank you to all of our Sunday school teachers, our Sunday morning group leaders, uh, for helping us get information out. We send out an email to all of our Sunday school teachers and Sunday morning group leaders every Thursday uh, so they have detailed announcements to make to their class. And so thank you guys so much for doing that. Also, I want to tell you about a new worship opportunity that's coming up. Um, in many ways, we're bringing back our Wednesday night worship service. Uh, and so we're going to do that on May 31st, May 31st. It's going to be the East Sanctuary. If you're not familiar with the campus, that's just in that direction. Uh, and it's going to be at 6 o'clock. And so we're coming back uh, on May 31st. Uh, you may say, why start something in the summer? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, a very practical one is that is when we'll be starting leg three uh, of our year-long journey through the life of Jesus. Uh, and so we'll do leg three and leg four, and we'll be able to tie the Sunday morning sermons to the Wednesday night sermons. And Jared and Jordan will be leading us in worship. I'll be preaching uh, but we'll be starting that on Wednesday night, May 31st, in the East Sanctuary. There are groups that meet, uh, obviously, on Wednesday night. Some of them break for the summer. Some of them do not. Please continue to meet in your group if you would like to do that. Some people may want to opt to meet at, from 7 to 8, uh, and we'll make sure child care is available for that and come to the service before. That's fine as well. But also, something that you need to know is that for our kids and student ministry, uh, we've normally taken a long break during the summer, but we will be moving to year-round programming uh, so we'll not be taking that long two-month break uh, during the summer. Uh, this is something that we've been thinking about and praying about for two years, really since we came back from COVID. Um, and so we didn't just make this decision quickly, uh, but we feel like it's the right thing. And uh, now is the time to do that. So please come out and be a part of that new worship experience starting May 31st on Wednesday nights. It'll be very exciting. Um, all right. So uh, Matthew chapter 13, before we jump in there, I've heard this one a couple of times and, you know, I've heard different versions of it. And so I thought, well, I guess the Lord's telling me to, to tell you this joke. All right, here it is. Uh, there was a young couple in the church, and they uh, invited the preacher over for dinner. And so uh, they were at their house. The preacher came, knocked on the door. They said, come on in. You know, we're just finishing getting things ready. And so the, the couple is in the kitchen. They're frantically trying to finish up everything and all the preparations for dinner. And the preacher is sitting in the living room with six-year-old little Johnny. And, you know, the preacher really didn't know what to say to Johnny, so, you know, he said, well, Johnny, what are we having for dinner? And little Johnny looked at him and confidently said, we're having goat. <laughs> and the preacher said, I, well, Johnny, I'm not sure. Are we really having goat? Are you sure about that? And little Johnny said, preach, all I know is that on the way home from church today, mom told dad, don't forget we're having the old goat for supper. <laughs> That's a good one. John Ed told me to tell you that one. So. All right, if you don't mind, if you would, uh, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13, if you don't mind, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand out of respect. We'll read the first nine verses. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, and where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. 
And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and they produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We're coming into this section in Matthew 13 of Jesus' teaching, in particular, these parables that he is teaching. Now, as you're reading through the Life Along the Way journey, and we're in this section on the parables, there's five things about the parables that I want you to keep in mind. First is that parables are not only found in the New Testament, they're also found in the Old Testament. This is a way of teaching truth. Secondly, if you think about a parable, a parable is really an extended simile, if you want to think about it that way. It's saying, this is like that. And it's provoking your mind wanting you to think. Number three, what a uh, parable is doing is that it is expounding upon or revealing a truth or truths that are needing to be conveyed. Number four, this is mind-provoking, meaning what a parable does is it probes our mental faculties. It gets us to think. Sometimes in scriptures we see a principle is given. It's just kind of a one-line principle or a proverb or something like that. But what a parable does is it engages our mind and it gets us curious to where we start asking the question, what is the point? Where is the truth or truths that are being taught? And then number five, we have to remember when it comes to parables, Jesus teaches us how to interpret the parables. Whenever we're reading the parables, we have to be careful not to just make them say whatever it is that we want them to say, but Jesus actually tells us how to interpret the parables, and if you know how to interpret this particular parable, it gives you a great framework to understanding all the other parables. So the text opens up in verse 1, and it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. And this is one of the things that we see Jesus doing often. Jesus would get away from the crowd. He would get away from the disciples. He would go away by himself. And we don't know if he wanted five minutes alone or if he wanted five hours alone. We we don't know that. But he goes out. He sits down beside the sea. But quickly, we see something happen in verse 2. And in verse 2, it says, And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Of course, the crowd starts coming in. Jesus gets into a boat so he can be pushed out just a little way. He sits down because that's how a rabbi would teach. The crowd stood up. It's kind of reverse right now, right? But the crowd would stand there and listen to him. And one of the things we see here is while Jesus would take these moments to get away from people, from the disciples, from the crowd, he also constantly attracted people. He was constantly attracting people to come and hear what he had to say. But not only did he have the ability to attract people, he had the ability to command their attention. Jesus is sitting here, he's in a boat, and they're standing on the beach, captivated by what he is sharing. And so, verse 3 says, And he told them many things in parables. Now, sometimes people would ask me, I've been asked before, like, how would you describe Jesus' teaching? How would you describe his teaching or his teaching style or something like that? And and I like to say, you know, Jesus taught with confusing clarity. Confusing clarity. And, And we see that in this sense of him teaching in parables where he's not just saying, you know, here's the main point or here's a principle or here's a proverb. He's teaching with parables and he's doing it for a reason. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. And then he tells the parable. I just read it for you. 
We see some seed was sown along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Some seed was sown on the rocky ground. And it sprang up quickly, but because it had no depth, the sun scorched it. And then some fell among the thorns, verse 7. And the thorns grew up with the seed and it choked them out. And then there's this thing called good soil. And then the good soil produces grain, some 100, some 60, and some 30-fold. And what we see Jesus doing here, again, in classic parable form, I'll give you the key to it, he's comparing the word to seed, to the seed that's being sown. He's comparing himself and his followers to those who are sowing the seed. And then he's also comparing our heart, the human heart, to the soul. We see that, right? Now, one of the things that Jesus is honest about here is he's honest about the fact that there are different kinds of soul, meaning there are different conditions of our hearts depending on how we have responded, depending on what we've gone through, depending on how we've been cultivating the soul, with, uh, the soul within our heart. But one of the things that Jesus is saying here, and I want you to see this, Jesus is saying that the seed is never the problem. Notice that. The seed is never the problem. And again, he likens the seed to the word of God. We're going to see that. He's going to explain it a little more later. And if you think about that, that's a powerful, powerful image. Jesus is saying the seed is like the word. If you think about a seed, it's small. It's something very small. But when it's planted and when it's cultivated, when it's watered, it sprouts up and it grows. Meaning that seed that looks so small, it is living and it is powerful. It is both of those things. So is the word of God. If you look at the vast libraries of the human race, there's a lot of books out there. And you may look at this one and say, it seems so small compared to all these other texts that are out there. But at the same time, God's word is living, it is active, it is powerful. If you think about a seed, you can plant a seed, and that seed over time, as it continues to grow, it literally moves concrete out of the way. I know because I go walking every morning, early in the morning, and there are these particular places where I stump my toe because... The tree that's growing is pushing that concrete up where not one of us could go out today to the sidewalk and just pick up the side of concrete. But that small seed has grown. It is living and it is powerful. And that's the same thing that happens with God's word in our life. It is living and powerful. But notice, when the seed falls, even in the good soul, notice that there are different types of good soul, it seems. There are different results because some produce a hundredfold, some produce 60, and some produce 30. So Jesus is even honest about something that's going on here, even when the seed falls on good soil. And then in verse 9, he states that famous phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. That's Jesus' way of saying and being honest about the fact that not everybody is going to be willing to hear what it is he has to say. Now, as Jesus teaches this parable to the crowd... It seems like in verse 10, the disciples may pull Jesus to the side or maybe Jesus is on a water break from teaching. And he has this conversation with his disciples. And in verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them, meaning the crowd, in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, at first glance, this kind of looks like an accusation. You know, like, Jesus, you could probably do this better. But no, no, no. Notice what they're doing. They're asking for the motive They're asking a why question. Why do you do it this way? 
And one of the things that we see here in the disciples is that the disciples were seeking kingdom knowledge. They wanted to know what it is that not only what Jesus was teaching, but why he was teaching it the way he was teaching it. This is very important because that's what a disciple wanted to do, right? A disciple did not just want to know what the teacher knew. A disciple wanted to go about teaching the way the teacher taught because there was a reason behind it. And disciples here, are they're coming. They're not accusing him necessarily. They're wanting to know why he's doing it this way. They're seeking kingdom knowledge even in asking this question. Verse 11, it says, and he answered them, although he's not going to give them the full answer just yet. He says a couple of things to them that's very important. It says, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Notice that, the secrets of the kingdom are now being revealed. But to them it has not been given. And what he's saying there, it's not been given yet. While these disciples are seeking kingdom knowledge, notice one of the things that Jesus communicates to his disciples is that this kingdom knowledge is knowable. You can actually know the secrets of the kingdom. Then notice what happens next in verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will be given in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, notice what Jesus is communicating to his disciples here. They're seeking kingdom knowledge. He says, yes, this kingdom knowledge is knowable. And not only that, kingdom knowledge can increase. It can increase. And then he says this to them in verse 13. This is why. He says, I want to answer your why question. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Listen to Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart, people's heart, that's what he's talking about with the soul, has grown dull. And their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So Jesus' disciples come to him. Why are you doing it this way? They're seeking this kingdom knowledge. He affirms in them kingdom knowledge is knowable and it can increase. But not only that, Jesus tells them, Isaiah told us about this. And Jesus says, I'm teaching to them in parables because their hearts have grown dull. And Jesus is saying, I'm creating a curiosity in them about this kingdom knowledge, the kingdom of heaven that I've been going around teaching about. See, the disciples have it. They're already curious. They're following him around. They're asking him questions. They're engaging with Jesus about this. And Jesus says, yes, but I've got to create that curiosity in them. Then notice what he says next. In verses 16 through 18, what Jesus tells the disciples is that kingdom knowledge is something that must be sought after. Again, the disciples are seeking it, but not the crowd yet. So in verses 16 through 18, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed, notice that word, longed to see what you see and did not see it. They longed to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Jesus is saying the longing that the prophets and the righteous people had, that is the kind of longing that needs to be in you, the disciples, and in the crowd. And so he's creating this curiosity by teaching in parables. Again, he's probing, he's provoking their mind to think about where is the truth that is being conveyed in this moment. So the disciples, they're already on this journey. 
They're seeking this kingdom knowledge, and Jesus is wanting more people to be on that journey and more people to seek it. And so Jesus says to them in verse 18, he gives them the interpretation here. He breaks down the parable of the sower. And he says, hear then the parable of of the sower. Hear it again. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the first type of soul or condition of our heart that Jesus is teaching them is about the path, meaning a calloused or jaded or hard heart. Whenever Jesus would say the path, some of your translations say the wayside. Uh, you, we have to remember the disciples would understand what this means as he's explaining it. Because in the first century, they didn't have fences around their property the way we put up fences around our property, right? Instead, they had the wayside, the way in which people would walk around the sides of people's property. And as they would walk around people's property, because you wouldn't cross it, it's not yours, it would create these paths. And these dirt paths would become hard as pavement over time. And the more people walked on, the, more, uh, the harder that they would become. And so Jesus says the first type of soil I'm talking about is seed that is thrown on the path, thrown on the wayside, this very hard surface. And it's so hard that the seed cannot penetrate the soil. And so the seed just lays there exposed. Birds can come and snatch it away, or the evil one can come and steal it, as Jesus explains, because it cannot go below the surface. And Jesus is saying many times that's our heart. We go through life and we are so calloused, we are so jaded by the things that have happened in the past. Our heart becomes so hard that the seed that God is wanting to sow into our life cannot penetrate the heart. So Jesus says, this is the first kind of soul. Now this is why, because this can be the case, this is exactly why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 3.13 encourages us to do something as the church. In Hebrews 3, we'll start in verse 12 and 13. He says, take care, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the church. Take care, lest there be any of you, or in any of you, evil, unbelieving hearts leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice that language. That we can get to this place where our hearts become evil and, and even unbelieving, which means I had belief before, and then I fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. As long as you have a thing called today, make sure you exhort one another, you're encouraging one another, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And again, what the writer of Hebrews is doing there is telling the church that you can be at a place of softness and then you can become hard over time. And the challenge for us as brothers and sisters in Christ is to make sure we are encouraging one another, we are exhorting one another constantly so that the soul of our heart stays soft and receptive because our hearts too can become so hard just like the soul on the path. So that's the first one. The second one we see in verses 20 and 21 He says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
So if the soul of our heart being the path is that callous, jaded, hard heart, the soul that falls on the rocky ground is that shallow or emotional heart. Shallow or emotional heart. Whenever Jesus is talking about the rocky ground, a lot of times we think of rocks being on top of the ground. He's actually referring to rocks being just underneath the surface. There are places that you can go in Israel and you can see these, uh, you see the dirt out there and you think, wow, that just looks beautiful. Why don't they plant things there? Well, they know that in many places there is a layer of dirt that is there, yes, but underneath that layer of dirt is solid limestone. And so, yes, they could go and they could plant some things on that thin layer of dirt. They could do that. And if they water it and cultivate it, it will spring up quickly. But because it has no root system, it will not last. It will not last. And the disciples are understanding this as Jesus is talking about it. That whenever he says, yes, there are these moments when people receive the word. Oh, and they receive it with joy. And it springs up real quick. He's saying, yes, that is a shallow response. It's an emotional response. It may spring up and look good for just a little while, but it never lasts. It never lasts. This is what was going on in the church in Galatia. Whenever Paul writes to the church in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to turn over there, you can. Galatians chapter 4. You have this church in Galatia that's being deceived that one time they were following Christ and they were very passionate about following Christ. Then all of a sudden, you see they just start turning away, turning away. And Paul writes in Galatians 4, pick it up in verse 8. He says, formally, speaking to the church here, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He said, notice that. You were enslaved to the things of this world before you knew it. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, there's a relationship, he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Question mark. Notice that. He's challenging the church there to think about what it is that they are doing. He said, at one time you were so on fire for God is the language I grew up with. But now you're turning back to these things of the world? Why are you doing that? Jesus told us that would happen. He said, some people are going to respond and they're going to respond and it's going to look amazing and they're going to be excited and it's only going to last. They're only going to endure for a little while. It's going to spring up but there's no roots there. And again, Jesus says our hearts can not only be hard, but there are times when we can be receptive and we can respond, but only for a little while. We have no root system. The third one is the thorns. We see it in verse 22. He says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. And again, as Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, they're starting to get the picture. In the first century, a lot of times what they would do is there would be thorns that would begin to grow around their crops. And so a lot of times they would go out and they would just burn them. As they're preparing, going to prepare the field for the new season, they would go out and they would just burn the crops. Uh, I mean, not burn the crops, burn the thorns that were around the crops. But the problem was, even though they would burn the thorns that were around the crops, the roots of the thorns were still there. So when they would go out to sow seed in the field, 
what would happen is some of that seed would fall among the roots of those thorns, and whenever they watered that, you would see the seed coming up, but also the thorns would begin to grow with them and intertwine with them. That's why a lot of times around the edges of the crops, you would see that the crops would be healthy in the middle, and they would tail off toward the end because those thorns were coming in and choking out the seed. And Jesus says this is exactly what happens in our life. That whenever we receive the word into our heart, many times what we don't do is we don't deal with the root issues that are there. We don't deal with those things that are going on that are part of our old sinful nature. Instead of dealing with those and let Christ deal with those and let the Holy Spirit deal with those in our life, those old roots are still there. And so as we begin to grow as Christians, many times those old things begin to grow as well and they grow together and choke out our faith. And Jesus says this is a reality that is very true in the human heart. It can be hard, so hard that the seed cannot penetrate. It can be shallow, emotional, to where it looks great for a moment, but then it fades. But also, if you don't deal with the root issues that are going on, those things can grow up and choke out your faith as well. And then he says, oh, but there's also good soul. Verse 23. He says, for what was the sown on the good soul... This is the one who hears the word, there's a hearing component, and understands it. He hears it and understands it. But here's the thing you need to know about that word understand. Hearing it is not just, I heard it, but I'm hearing it and I'm comprehending it. And then understanding has to do with understanding not just in my mind, but I understand it and I apply it to my life. That is key. That is absolutely key. It's not just hearing it, but I hear it and I'm receiving it because I'm actively seeking. And it's, I'm understanding not just in my mind, but also with application in my life. Jesus says this is what happens in the good soul. People who are actively seeking, they hear, they comprehend, and then they actively apply it through their under, what they understand. But notice what, what he said. He says, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And again, we read that and we ask the question, why the different results? And a lot of times we just sit back and say, well, you know, God gives 100, God gives 60 and 30, and you know, kind of like that, kind of go the parable of the talents way. But no, 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 I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think the reason why there are different results here is because every disciple, even the ones listening to him on this first day, has to ask this question. And the question that Jesus is probing them toward is how much of the word, of the seed, how much of the word are you willing to apply to your life? So while Jesus is teaching the crowd with these parables, the disciples pull him aside and say, why are you teaching him parables? Tell us why you're going about it this way. Jesus explains it to them, and as he's explaining this, it comes down to this moment where Jesus is sitting with the disciples, and he says to them, some it's a hundredfold, and some it's 60, and some it's 30. As to say, to his first followers and to us, which one are you? Because what determines a crop of 100-fold or 60-fold or 30-fold is how much of the seed we're willing to apply to our life. And Jesus uses this incredible moment 
as he's teaching the crowds, as the disciples are asking questions to teach them, and again to teach us, that this seed is powerful. It's alive in us. Yes, we have to make sure our hearts are not hard and calloused and jaded. We have to soften the soil of our heart. We also have to make sure that it's not just an emotional response. We have to make sure we deal with the root issues in our life, those things in our past, so they do not spring up and continue to spring up in our life. But even when our soul is good, we have to make sure our goal is to apply all that we now hear and understand. Because the question is, do you want a crop in your life of 100-fold, of 60-fold, of 30-fold, of 15-fold? Pick a number. And Jesus says it all depends on how much you're willing to apply what he's saying to your life. And my friends, that's our challenge. Every single day we wake up, that's our challenge. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, you say, yes, that's me. The question is, how much are you willing to apply? Are you willing to continue to hear? Continue to hear with comprehension. Continue to understand, to understand with application so that you may live a life of a hundredfold. It's possible. It's possible. But like I said, every day, it is our challenge. So my prayer is that we'll be found faithful in that. That we'll be found faithful in constantly hearing with comprehension, constantly understanding with application, so that we may apply for his honor and glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is alive and active, that is speaking to us even right now in this moment. And Father, we say today, with as much faith as we can muster, if you will, Lord, we want the soul of our heart to be good. We want it to be cultivated. We want it to be receptive. And Father, we want the seed that is sown in us not just to lay there dormant, Lord. We want it to bring forth life and life that is powerful. Jesus, you said you came that we may have life and have it abundantly, a hundredfold life. May we seek that and nothing else. And Lord, may we not fall into the trap of the modern church where we just consume the word in our mind. May we live it with our lives. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,